I apologize for kind of running back and forth a little bit. We, uh, we're, te- we're, we're basically, we have set up this new live stream system. I mentioned this like two weeks ago, and we're finally using it. And obviously, when you use something for the first time, you're going to have problems. Um, and so we're having a little bit of, of problems. It's one of those things where you, you practice and you mess around with it all week. So you're like, never had this problem before. And then you push the button, and then the problems you never expected happen. And you're like, what am I supposed to do? So uh, for those who are online, uh, I appreciate your patience with us and your grace. And because um, I know some of you are stuck at home uh, because of quarantining for COVID or for other reasons. And we want to uh, tell you that uh, hopefully you can see me, you can hear me, um, and you can somewhat follow along. Um, if some reason it cuts off, that's why we have the digital hymnal, so that you can follow along on your phone. Um, so please... Uh, bear with us. And again, if you're, if for some reason you're traveling or you're not able to be here because you're sick or, or for whatever reason, um, you can always uh, follow uh, the service on live stream. You can go to the website, you can use the app, you can go to YouTube, you can go to Facebook, you can go to Periscope, you can do all the different avenues by which you can watch live stream stuff. And uh, so we're trying to make that available for you. That's, that's crystal clear and it has all the words and stuff. So Please uh, continue to pray for us as we try to provide that service to not only to you, but to other people as well. And so, um, before I get into this, uh, actually, let me read, uh, let me read the passage, and, uh, and then we will pray, and we'll get started. We're in Luke chapter 14. If you have a Bible, Luke chapter 14, uh, we're going to look at 1 through 14. Um, today. And we're going to continue our series in Luke. Uh, last week was just kind of a blimp uh, focus on the Reformation. Uh, Reformation Sunday was his charity's favorite holiday. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and so uh, Reformation Sunday. And so uh, that's something we try to do every year. But now we're back into Luke. We'll be in Luke for a few weeks. And then we will start an Advent series starting on the 29th of November. Uh, that will go about four Sundays before Christmas, and we'll be talking about who is this child. That's kind of the title, and we're looking at different aspects of the incarnation of Christ. So that will start on November the 29th. But today we're in Luke chapter 14. On the Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully, and behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, it is lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not. But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he had told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you would you be invited by him. But he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friends, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Verse 12. And he said also to the man who invited him, When you give dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or a rich neighbor, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, 
the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much again. Lord, we want to come this morning and just lift up Kaylee Ice, uh, who is in the hospital, and, and uh, the baby wanted to come sooner than we all wanted. Uh, we pray for Nathan, and we pray for the doctors, and that you would give them her wisdom, oh, give the doctor wisdom, and just give protection over Kaylee. We pray for Denton as he is by the side of his wife. Uh, Lord, I pray for him as well as he provides comfort and encouragement and, and just um, love to her. And we pray for our church as we uh, support the Ice family, Lord, as we love them, as we care so much about them, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that we would uh, be able to, to you provide ways where we can help them during this time. Um, Lord, we pray for your wisdom. We pray for your uh, plan and, and when it comes to Kaylee, Lord. And if it's your will for that baby to come sooner, then Lord, then that is your will. But Lord, we pray, Lord, that that, that baby would stay a little bit longer in the womb and, and come a little bit later, Lord. Um, Lord, we, we pray also for Christina Zaleski's father who's still in the hospital. We pray for his health and continue to pray for his health. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, restore him to health. And pray for Christina, Lord, as another person in our church that we love and adore, Lord. We pray, Lord, that we would encourage her as well during this time. Lord, we pray for our, our country. Uh, Lord, we pray right now as we um, enter into a new season with a, a new president, most likely, Lord, with uh, President-elect Joe Biden, Lord. We pray for him. Uh, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would um, use him to glorify yourself. Lord, we know he's a man who believes in, um, doesn't believe in pro-life. He doesn't, he doesn't stand for the, for the child in the womb. And Lord, we pray that he would change his view on that. We pray, Lord, that he would be one who is convicted of that and change uh, the country when it comes to that law. Lord, we, we pray for other issues going on in our country. We pray for other issues going on in our church, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you would, um, you would provide uh, strength to those who are believers, that you would provide them wisdom and understanding, that you would help them to grow in their love for you and their love for one another. And Lord, I pray that during this time that you would help the church, your followers, your people, to be beacons of light in our nation, in our country, uh, a, a time of confusion, a time of anger. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would use us to be beacons of light, of love and peace and mercy, Lord. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hold on just a second. I have left my Bible. Okay. iPads are great, but I'd rather have my Bible up here um, reading from it. Um, so I want to talk about uh, the three big key words here for you kids. Uh, and I promise these three words will be in there. It's the last time I did this, and uh, I didn't have some of the words that I had put on there. Um, the three words that I want uh, you as kids maybe talk to your parents about when you go home, uh, something that you can uh, ask them about when it comes to these three words. But the first one is power. Power. The second word is humility. And the third word is relationship. Power, humility, and relationship. Those three words that I want you to, as this sermon is over and you're at home or you're on your way home or you're eating lunch, ask your parents what these th three words mean and how they relate to God's word, how they relate to the gospel. Power, humility, and relationships. Um, before we get into in the meat of this, uh, power is such a it's a, it's a common word we use, right? Uh, me and Jacob were talking on Saturday uh, or Friday night about the F-14 Tomcat. 
Uh, my grandfather knows that was my favorite airplane growing up because of Top Gun, the movie. That was the, the, the plane that Maverick flew. That was, uh, and I remember going to air shows and seeing that airplane fly and how loud it was, how powerful it was, right? You saw those twin engines that would blow out like flames when it was like go to supersonic speed. It had a lot of power. You think of fast cars like the Bugattis or Lamborghinis, it has power, a lot of horsepower, a lot of, a lot of torque. We think of power also in political power, right? Governmental power, uh, military power. We think of power in a sense of verbal power. When a, a leader, or even not even a leader, but when people use words to influence. We think of emotional power. When people get angry, people get angry right? You think of right? people, even as, as yeah, the, there's, there's a, people that are very angry about the results of the election, right? They're showing their power. They're angry. They're showing their emotional power. We think of physical power, right? We think of strong men or women. We think of strong people who lift strong things, or we think of, of tools that can pick up things and use their physical power. We think of personality power, right? Personality, character, certain people that are comedic or people that have very uh, direct, these kind of big personalities that are very charismatic, right? They have power, they have influence when they enter a room. We think of intellectual power, when someone knows, uh, you think of a, a professor or someone who is a great scholar or a great writer, they have intellectual power, right? People listen to them. People respond to their opinions and their words, we think of economic power, right? When rich, wealthy people use their, their money as a way of, right, to either move an agenda or to buy a piece of land or whatever it is, they use their economic power. There's different ways that we think about power. Even in the spiritual world, we have people that use, their, use words that come from God's word with power, right? You think of a great preacher like Charles Spurgeon or, uh, or Billy Graham or someone like that who uses powerful words and speaks with power and that affects change. Obviously, the Holy Spirit is the one with the power changing hearts, but God, Holy Spirit uses spiritual power. But all power is derivative. All power is given by God. Anytime we use power we can use power to damage and destroy, or you can use power to bless and to care. Anytime you use power to damage or use a uh, or to use power in a way to dishonor someone or dishonor God, we we fail in our handling of the gift of power that He has given us. And I say that because I want to talk about the, the title of the sermon is the Killing Tree. And uh, well, I'm going to start off talking about one instance of the killing tree. In Cambodia in the 1970s, Pol Pot was the dictator and tyrant of the Cam Cambodian people. And he used his power to kill three million of his own citizens. Three million. He put them in labor camps. He put them in torture prisons. And there's a movie called The Killing Fields. Right? There were these fields that they would, you know, kill people and they had like mass graves. And it says even today, if you walked in the killing fields, if it rained that day, you'd actually could still see bones and cloth from people that had been killed by Paul Pot's regime in the 1970s. 
the thought of how this is possible, how can someone execute that many of his own people using his power to damage, to destroy, to abuse? And the reason why I bring up this idea of the killing tree, because in the killing fields in Cambodia, there is a tree. And it was called the killing tree. And so I'm going to say this. So if you want to cover the ears of your kids or you don't want them to hear this, I understand. But they used the tree to kill babies. They would take babies and they would smash them against the tree. And they called this tree the killing tree. And on the tree, it was written, the killing tree against which executioners beat children. It's a sign on the tree that says, killing tree against which executioners beat children. And the reason why they killed babies is because they didn't want the babies to grow up and then do what? Seek justice. So they killed them. This is using power to destroy and to silence. The reason why I want to talk about power is because I think Jesus brings up this idea of power and how power should be used and how the Pharisees and the religious leaders of Judaism misused their power and how Jesus used power in such an effective and remarkable way. And so kind of the, the first point here, kind of this main point by which everything's going to kind of fall under is that Christ demonstrates how to use power to the glory of God. Christ demonstrates how to use power to the glory of God. So sub point number one is point A, whatever way you do note. If you're following along on the, on the notes uh, link, you'll see kind of point in number, Roman numeral one, and then you'll have A, B, C, and D. So A is the use of power to care for a suffering person. The use of power to care for a suffering person. This is verses one through six of Luke, uh, verse, Luke chapter 14, 1 through 6. And so you have this, this ruler, this man. He's a, Jesus is dining with a certain ruler of the Pharisees that Jesus has been invited to, to eat dinner with a group of religious leaders, a group of Pharisees. It even says a little bit later, we find out there's lawyers. Lawyers and Pharisees are having this, this banquet, having this feast, having this meal together. And the ruler of the Pharisees is who invited Jesus and these people. This is a man of great influence, a man of great respect, a man of great honor, a man of great wisdom, a man who lived in comfort, a man of power, right? He's a man of power. Now, he's not a Roman, but he's a man of power in the Jewish community. He's a ruler. The term used is he's a ruler of the Pharisees, and he's the one who has invited these people to eat. Jesus was invited to eat bread, to have a meal during this, on the day of the Sabbath. So the day of the Sabbath, this is the day of the Sabbath meal. So this is a very important meal. They would have prepared this meal ahead of time, right? Because they couldn't work on the Sabbath. They couldn't prepare the meal on the day. So this meal was prepared the day before and Jesus was invited to this Sabbath feast. It was a very important meal during the week. For some of you who have Sunday dinner with your family, right? You're, everyone gets together for Sunday dinner. That's kind of an important meal, right? If you didn't go to the Sunday dinner, like, you know, mom would be upset. Mom would be, it would be angry. Why aren't you at the Sunday dinner? This is the meal. This is the most important meal of the week. And Jesus was invited to dine with the ruler of the Pharisees. 
the gathering of lawyers, experts of the law, and Pharisees. This is an association of equals. These are people who saw themselves as equals. They were the elite. They were intellectual. They were the rulers of the Jewish community, and they were dining together. There's not like there was a, a group of people at this dinner that shouldn't have been there. They were all associating with equals, all man, men of power. And they had issues with Jesus doing what? Associating with outcasts. So obviously, if they had issues with Jesus associating with outcasts, then they're not inviting outcasts to their midday Sabbath meal. So the setting here is they're having conversation over food. This is table talk, right? Uh, when JK, we were over on Friday, we had table talk, right? We were talking. We were talking about theology. We were talking about politics. We were talking about all kinds of stuff, right? When you have people over for dinner, what do you do? You talk, right? You have conversations. You have conversations about topics that you're interested in and that you both share. And they're having a conversation. They're having table. They're having probably high-level conversation. Again, these are men of influence, men of power, men of wisdom, men of means, these are deep and thoughtful conversations about the laws and religion. Maybe they're talking about politics. Maybe they're talking about literature. There is a, a, there's two dinners when I was at Southern Seminary that I was invited to the professor's house. Uh, one was Dr. Cable, and Lisa was with me on that particular uh, time. We were invited to uh, Dr. Cable. He was uh, Ted Cable was one of the apologetics professors. He was the only professor when I was a MDiv student who invited me to his home for dinner. And so you just felt like an equal, right? You felt like I belong here. Like, I feel like we're having these intellectual, uh, theological conversations with someone who's an expert in this field. And you just feel like an equal. You're associating with someone with influence and you felt important, right? There was a second time when I was a doctorate student, I was invited to my professor's home, Dr. Uh, Clausen, and I would, me and a few other students, we were I stayed up till like midnight talking about all kinds of important things. You felt like an equal. You felt like someone who was listened to, that you were someone important. These are these people, these guys felt this way. They were having dinner with the ruler of the Pharisee, and they were having high-level conversations. So what ended up happening was, is that I love how Luke says this, behold, exclamation point, behold, there is a man before him who had dropsy. It's like, hello, unexpected. You have these high level conversations. You have these important people of influence having this very important dinner of the week. And then all of a sudden, behold, there's this man who does not belong in this dinner. He has a condition. Very similar to a similar story in Luke chapter 7, a woman of the city, most likely a prostitute, who happened to walk into the dinner with the Pharisee that Jesus is having. Very similar. Behold, a woman of the city who is what? A sinner. She does not belong here. She was not invited. She is not welcome. Similar here, a man with dropsy. Here's the issue. Why is he here? Why is that man at the dinner? Possibly the reason why Jesus and this man are there is because this is all a big setup for Jesus. They want to see if Jesus will heal him on the Sabbath. They've had issues with that. They think it's blasphemy. They think it's against God's law. So they're very, it says here they watched him carefully to see what he would do. Jesus is already healed on the Sabbath in chapter 13, verse 10 through 11. It seemed likely that he would heal 
this man. So they wanted to kind of put Jesus in a place where he had to do something they saw as legally wrong or against God's word. So this man has dropsy. Basically, dropsy is this buildup of fluid in the body tissue, usually in the legs or the arms or the ankles, excessive swelling. You may have seen people with this type of condition, like you'll see them have massive swelling of feet. They can hardly walk. Or have really, like, sometimes you can get this in your eyes and your, your face where you have these very fluids build up in the tissue. So most likely this man could hardly walk. He was probably not nice to look at because he had probably swelling in some parts of his body. And what, and that, it's not, we don't believe this today. It's not really common today to believe this. But back then in the first century, if you had some kind of condition like that, some physical uh, deformity, like some swelling, it must be because you're unclean and you're sinner. That's why you have this. So not only is this person dealing with this condition, but also they're treated as if they are the worst of sinners. That's why they have this particular condition. So this person is brought into this dinner. And what does Jesus do? He responds. He knows their thinking. He knows their hearts. He knows exactly what's going on. Before they even say a word to Jesus, he actually responds to their actual heart and says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Basically, it's like, have you ever played chess or poker when you thought you had a really cool move that you set up, but actually it was a disaster later on? This is basically what the Pharisees have done. They've said, oh, we have this great idea, this great setup, and then all of a sudden it goes sideways on them and Jesus catches them. Jesus calls them out. He says, he took him, he healed him, he sent him away. So you see the physical nature of Christ's action. He touched him. The use of Christ's power, Christ who has all power since he is God's, uh, since he is, he is God, heals this man. He has compassion on him. He touches him, he heals him. And then he sends him away. And then he tells the Pharisees, which of you, if you are, because they're silent during this whole thing. They're completely silent. And he says, if, of which of you, if your son or ox, son, some translations say like ass or whatever, the, the, the child of like a donkey or something like, I think it, the right term here is son. Like what if one of your sons or one of your animals fell into a pit, would you not immediately pull him out on the, on the day of the Sabbath? I love when Jesus asks these questions because the obvious answer is yes, right? Of course you would. You wouldn't think twice about one of your children or some of you, one of your cats or one of your dogs were to fall into a situation. You would freak out. They would use every, they would use their power to save without delay. Economic influence, prayer, strength, verbal, use it all to save. And they couldn't reply to the thing, the question that Jesus asked. The contrast and the use of power is so vivid here. You have these rulers, you have these intellectuals, you have these men of means and influence, and they don't try to help this man in any way. But Jesus uses his power to do what? Show compassion. He uses his power to heal and to care. He uses his power not to divide or to abuse like they did, The division at that time between the haves and the have-nots was so massive. And you had men of the word, men of the law, men of God, supposedly, religious men, 
who were the worst abusers of power. Very similar to what happened in Rwanda in the 1990s. Actually, a lot of the people that were killed in that genocide actually were killed in churches. They ran to the churches for sanctuary because, you know, it was the Hittus that were killing the Tutsis and the Hittus who were in those churches, who were going, went to those churches, joined in, in the slaughter. To be shepherds. They were supposed to be shepherds of people and they used their power to do what? To abuse. Similarly, what, they, what the Jewish people were doing here. The second point is the use of power to humble yourself and be exalted. The use of power to humble yourself and be exalted, verses 7 through 11. So the conversation continues here. And Jesus heals this man and then tells them a parable. Because it's so fascinating, while they're observing Jesus closely, what is Jesus doing? He's observing them just as close. He says, I've noticed the choice of the seats you sit in. Christ observed them as they observed him. Basically, they would sit in these U-shaped tables. And the host would sit at the, at the, basically at the base of that U, and everyone else would sit around the host. And whoever was closest to the host received the most honor, was obviously the highest status person to the host. So the most honored people at the dinner would have been the person on the left and the right of the host. The nearest to the host was the one who received the most honor, the most status. The person furthest from the host was the one who was in the lowest place. So what there was, everyone would come to this party and they would scramble to get closest to sit next to the host. That was considered the chief seat. Basically, if you were sitting next to the host, therefore you must be someone of importance. And that you were elevated in your status in that community if you sat next to the host. Well, Jesus says you shouldn't recline in the place of honor. Because what happens if someone more distinguished than yourself comes into the room? What the host's going to do? He's going to tell you to give up your place, to leave your seat, and with shame take the last place. Basically, you would, be, you would be humiliated. You would walk away in disgrace. You'd be, take, you'd be sent to the lowest honorable, the least honorable seat. I thought of this, and I've never watched The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. I know enough about it to, to get the idea what happens. But usually I think what happens is, and if you are one of those watchers, you don't, you know, be proud of it, right? This is what you watch. It's your guilty pleasure, right? That's why you watch it. What is the thing, what, what, what I think what ends up happening is in the first few episodes, there's always those girls and guys that really try to rush to be the one who gets the closest to the whatever the bachelor or the bachelorette is. And at the end of the show, what you get, you get, you get roses, to write, because I guess those are the people that, that, that the bachelor or the bachelorette has selected to kind of continue on in the reality show or in the competition. So that's it's, it's a weird thing for me. Competition of love. Like, how can you have a competition of love? That seems like, how could you possibly have a marriage based off a competition? And that's how you fell in love. It seems so ludicrous and so crazy. But very similar to what's happening here. These, these men are trying to compete for honor, trying to get the rose, trying to rush as closest to the host. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. Instead, go and recline at the last place. And what ends up happening is, is if you humble yourself and lower yourself, then the host would say, friends, move up higher. You would be honored in the sight of all because you didn't rush to the closest seat to the host. 
the clamoring for the chief places, the, the, the clamoring for the increase in status, the clamoring for the increase in pride. They use their power to do what? To increase their status, to increase their pride and their ego. And they believe that if they somehow did certain things and did enough favors for the host or for whoever who's important, that they would be equally important or they will grow in their status and their wealth and their importance. It's very similar to what happened in the German, German church in the 1930s and 40s. Bonhoeffer talks about this. What happened during the Nazi regime was the German churches went along with Hitler and the Nazi regime. Why? Because they wanted favor with those in power. So what do they do? They use their power and influence and try to raise it. He who humbles himself will be exalted, Jesus says. If the Pharisees, the host, believes and understood the identity of Christ, he would have given his seat to Christ. Christ, who has all power and all authority, is the one who sits at the least honorable seat. The Son of God, the one who all things were created through, Christ humbled himself. Christ, who has all power, who deserves the chief seats in every room, gives up the chief seat for the sake. He takes on the form of a servant. He took on flesh. Even though he is all the power of God, he did not use it for his own benefit, Paul says in Philippians 2. Rather came, humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ used his power not to raise his own glory. He used his power to do what? To save, not to glorify himself. You think of the temptation of Christ. What did Satan do? Worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus said, no. Why? Because the will of his father is for him to do what? To be a servant and to go to the cross. And that's how he was going to be exalted. He humbled himself. He was the savior of sinners. He came to seek and save the lost. He was exalted by his father above all creatures. And those who trust in him will be exalted in him. Those who scramble for the, the most important positions in the world, who cr- scramble for the most influential relationships in the world, those are the people who are about exalting themselves and not humbling themselves. And those who try to exalt themselves will be what? Humbled. The judge, he's the savior of the sinners, but he's also the judge of the self-righteous. There's a story by Flannery O'Connor called The Mystery and Manor. There's a character in the story called Miss Turpin. And it says about Miss Turpin that she always notices people's feet. Because she always thinks herself better than everyone else. The greatest virtue keeps us from the greatest vice. And the greatest virtue is what? Humility. Humility returns. Humbleness is a word that comes from this idea of the ground and the dust. A humble person is lowly. A a humble person returns to the ground. He understands where he comes from or where she comes from. She comes from what? He comes from what? The dust of the ground. The use of power to welcome the lowly in his kingdom. So Christ uses the power, his power to humble himself and to save. Christ also talks about the use of power to welcome the lowly into his kingdom. This is the last two verses here in 14, 12 and 14. He kind of continues and says that who they invite is also an issue. He says, also the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner 
or a banquet. Basically, if you give a, a breakfast or a small meal, like a, a lunch, and or you give a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, when you give a wedding banquet, if you're the host of a wedding banquet, which is the most important meal you can possibly give, for you fathers, you, if you have a daughter, hope that you know you, that's the one feast you're probably going to have to pay for that's going to be very expensive. And Jesus, this is the word he's using. He's saying, when you give a great feast, this is who you should invite. You should invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Basically, in that particular culture, it was all about inviting people that could do something for you the self-serving action. Relationships were currency for elevation and increase in status. That's what relationships were. They were all about status. They were all about increasing and elevating yourself. So you invited people that can do what? Help you elevate yourself. Why would you invite people who you couldn't profit from? Why would you invite people who have no value to you? And Jesus says, that's the problem. You are so self-righteous. You are so prideful you don't even understand your own condition, that you are no different than the outcast outside. When you prepare a feast, instead invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind to a wedding feast. The most important meal you could possibly give, invite the outcast who would bring you no profit. And say, instead, focus on the repayment of the resurrection of the righteous. Basically, consider the long game. Don't be focused on this world or its short-term successes but rather the eternal rewards. And we try so hard, don't we, as humans, to try to elevate our status, elevate our position in the world, be friends with the right people, have the right people over to our homes or to our apartments for coffee, for dinners, to increase our status, to increase our value. We never invite the people who have no value to us, who, are, who could not provide anything to us, or they can't provide something to our resume. But the important thing that we have to continue to remind, remind ourselves as Christians is that we are exalted in Christ. We're not exalted by what the, the letters at the end of our name. We're not exalted by what jobs we have or what titles we have. We are what? We are exalted in Christ. And that is the far, farthest, highest you could possibly be is united in Christ and his exaltation. Because it says about Jesus in Philippians 2 that he is given a name above all names, right? All knees shall bow at the name of Christ. Being united in Christ is the highest you could possibly exalt, be exalted. And how do you, how are you united in Christ? Through humility, through confession of sin and trust in Christ. Paul, um, Jesus is saying here, seek relationship with the outcast. Be humble. Stoop low, show love. The use of power to follow Christ to the killing tree is the last point here. The use of power to follow Christ to the killing tree. So the, the killing tree, like I started in the beginning, was a tree in Cambodia used to massacre children. There's another killing tree, which is the, the tree that had a sign that said the king of the Jews. And all the power that Christ had he gave himself up. He gave himself over to die at the hounds of powerful men and powerful institutions and powerful traditions to save those same people. 
the God-man himself, who had all the power. What Paul is saying in Philippians 2 is that he had all the power. He could have snapped his fingers and all the Romans would have turned into dust. That's not what he did. He used his power to do what? To save. To save. He allowed himself to be nailed to a killing tree to save humanity. That's the paradox of pride. We think sometimes that the prideful people in the world, when they finally get their comments, we are like, goodness, thank goodness that they learned that lesson. You deserved what you got. I think there's a temptation right now, today, think of that about President Trump or about Republicans who supported Trump. You got your comments, learn this lesson. That's the problem with pride. You tend to elevate yourself above others so easily. True love presupposes humility. Without humility, the self comes to occupy all the available space and sees the other person as an object or as an enemy. You cannot love someone if you think you're better than them. You can't do it. You can't do it. You can't speak of love if you think you're better. If you're not humble, if you don't realize you come from the same dust, you cannot love them. The product of self-knowledge is humility. When you realize that you're humble, that you come from the ground, that you're creatures of the earth, that you're sinners through and through, and in Christ's grace alone is when is where you are exalted. We should, by the power of Christ, take up our own killing tree and humble ourselves as servants and welcome the lowly and befriend those unlike us. I don't care what politics people have. If you're a Christian, you are to follow Christ's lead. You are to take up your killing tree, die to yourself, humble yourself, realize we all come from the same dirt. We're all going back to the same dirt. We're all sinners and needing of grace. And that without grace, we are dead. That means you should be able to love anyone. If you struggle to love someone, it's because you are prideful and you think you're better. Even if you don't think you are, somewhere in yourself believes that you are better than them because you have the right politics or you have the right opinions or the right views and values. That means that you think you're better. And as the book Funny O'Connor says, you're like Miss Turpin who just looks at people's feet because you think you're better. Christ did not think himself better and though he was better because he had all the power, but he used his power to do what? To save and to redeem. That's the power of the gospel of Christ, the power of the cross. It humbles you, doesn't it? But it allows you and gives you the perspective to love those who are unlovable. Here's my challenge to you. This is a big challenge, but I think it's so important in this particular season that we, I just think this is a challenge that is so important. Invite someone who disagrees with you politically to dinner or to coffee. Pay for it. Don't view yourself better than them based off who they voted for. Invite them either into your home or to your apartment or go out to dinner or go to a coffee shop, whatever. You all come from the same dirt. You're all equally fallen in sin. 
and equally needing the grace that comes through Christ. There's nothing more powerful than that in the world. There's nothing more powerful. You doing that is the most powerful thing you can do in this world, especially now. To befriend someone who disagrees with you, to befriend someone that honestly you would rather just scream at because they are so different, befriending them and sharing a meal with them and, share, and building a relationship with them is the most powerful thing you can do in this world right now. There's a friend that I have, a casual friend at USI. Some of y'all know him. His name is William. And he is about as liberal as liberal can be. I mean, I don't know if we have any political view that we share, but that's someone I've had coffee with. And someone actually, that's who I, resp- I need to respond to in this calendar. Just, I need to have dinner with him. Flannery O'Connor, this is the last thing I'm going to say. Flannery O'Connor says, she says this in a prayer. But dear God, please give me some place, no matter how small, but let me know it and keep it. If I am the one to wash the second step every day, let me know it and let me wash it. And let my heart overflow with love washing it. A heart overflowing with love. Christ's heart, when he went to the cross, the killing tree, was a heart overflowing with love. The Son of God's heart for you on a bloody cross was overflowing love. That is powerful. That is so powerful. For Christ Jesus, the one with all the power, to stoop down and to be a servant and to die on a killing tree for sinners, for dust, is the most powerful thing that's ever happened in this world. And you befriending and loving someone who is an outcast, someone that you disagree with, someone who you think is an enemy and loving them is the most powerful thing you could do. And that is modeling what Jesus modeled, what Jesus did. And that's what Jesus is challenging these Pharisees to do. Do likewise, do as Christ did. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that your word defines what power is and helps us to understand how to use power. All of us in this room have power. We have, vo- we have voices, we have personalities, we have economic power, we have influence, we have influence on people. And Lord, help us to view the way that Christ modeled power, how he saved and cared for the suffering man, how he humbled himself, took on the form of a servant how he welcomed the lowly into his kingdom. Help us to follow. Lord, if there's anyone here who's not a follower of Christ, what I'm saying is impossible. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit can someone model the life of Christ. And Lord, I want to just impress upon people and plead with them to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ to put their faith in him, to trust in him and and be transformed from the inside out. We talk about external actions. We talk about external behaviors and all these different actions and they're meaningless without the changed heart that only comes through Christ. Lord, we praise you. We thank you, Lord, that you sent Jesus in the world. We thank you that, that you used your ultimate power to not judge us or destroy us, Lord, but to save us through Christ. 
but you will not have that salvation unless you put your trust in Christ or you stay outside the kingdom and are under that same judgment. Please, I plead with anyone in this room, Lord, change their hearts and redeem them and save them, Lord, deliver them. Lord, we praise you and we love you. We thank you as we take up the Lord's Supper, as we share this meal together. We welcome those who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We welcome those who have been baptized in the faith. We welcome those who have been, uh, who's a part of your church. We welcome them to take up this feast. But if anyone here is not a follower of Christ, Lord, Lord, may you welcome them in your kingdom by giving them the faith they lack and infusing them with your spirit. We love you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.